Hey guys, Suzanne Hogan here, producer of Midwesternish. This podcast is only possible because listeners like you support it. So if you want to be a part of it all, just go to kcur.org slash Midwesternish and click on the donate button on the right hand side. All right, thanks. From a dot in the middle of the map, this is Midwesternish, a podcast about what it's really like to live here in the Midwest. I'm Gina Kaufman. What are the first words you think of when I say Midwest? I can't help but have the words such as grit and resilience really resonate in my mind. I would say easy. Or maybe simplicity. It's hard to describe in one word. I guess home. The first thing that comes to mind for me, too, is home. The other side of that is that it can be the fact that it's still kind of like stuck in time. Would you ever think about leaving here? Yes. Uh, and I'm sorry, that was too enthusiastic. Wasn't it? <laughs> Let me pause and calmly <laughs> contemplate the question. On this episode, we're exploding all the stereotypes and hokey cliches. Like, we're just good, simple folks who are fashion backwards or uninformed. But we're going to hear five stories about actual human beings who love the Midwest. I have a Missouri tattoo on my forearm. I love Oklahoma, that red dirt. Even though sometimes this place drives them crazy. People just have these preconceived notions about who someone is because they come from the Midwest. And, oh, you're nice and you're sweet and you're innocent. And I'll tell you, I am not nice. The passive aggressive, the fake nice. Oh, yeah, that is real. It's just too slow for me sometimes. On this episode of Midwesternish, we'll dig into stories that shake up what we think of as Midwestern. But first, where do I get off saying what's true and what's not about the Midwest? That is a fair question. I was born and raised in Kansas City, smack dab in the middle of the country. The Midwest is my home. But church basement potlucks were not part of my childhood. My parents came to Kansas City from Chicago, and their parents did things like peddling newspapers, not plowing fields. As for me, no one has ever ever described me as the salt of the earth. You would never call me handy or crafty or simple or corn-fed. In fact, the words people do use to describe me are almost laughably the opposite of those things. I'm bookish, quirky, complicated, and scrawny. Growing up, I kind of didn't think of myself as a real Midwesterner. I mean, I heard the way people used that word, and I kind of got that they weren't talking about me. But now I'm a journalist. In my hometown, I interview tons of people who live here, and I have breaking news. There are so many people who don't fit the mold any better than I do. So do we live in a Midwest full of outsiders and exceptions, or do we live in a Midwest that doesn't look like we think it does? What is this identity we're so attached to? Does it have anything to do with reality? I mean, probably, but it's complicated. I think this song by Atmosphere from Minneapolis totally nails it. And if you know this is where you want to raise your kids, say, say, if you're from the Midwest and it doesn't matter where, say, if you can drink tap water and breathe the air, say, say, The first time a bank teller asked me how my day was, 
all I could think of is like, what's your angle? What do you really want? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. Uh, How do you understand that differently now? She was being polite. <laughs> <laughs> That's my friend Idris. He moved to Kansas City from California a while back. And this is my friend Emily. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. I got them together because they're new parents. Emily is from here and she loves it now. But growing up, all she wanted to do was leave. I was in a hurry to get away from where I grew up, which um, was a suburb of Kansas City that, looking back, is not was maybe not the most desirable place to grow up and did have some of the more negative stereotypes of the Midwest, also some of the positive ones. and then, Such as? Um, there, there was a lot of racism and homophobia and um, judgment and hypocrisy and close-mindedness. Those are the negative ones, I'm thinking. Those are some of the negative ones. (laughs) Um, But then also, you know, I I could play outside uh, in the neighborhood with my my friends, and my friends' parents all knew me, and it was very kind of, it was close-knit enough, and I think I, I have some pretty good values from from my upbringing. But I also grew up where there was a huge meth problem, and I just, I wanted to get away. So she did. She fled to Brooklyn, as so many do. And it was cool, but New Yorkers' assumptions about Midwesterners got on her nerves. And after a while, she kind of started to miss home. So I became very, like, Missouri proud, something I never expected myself to be. Maybe this is a good time to mention Emily is a casserole expert. She's written a casserole cookbook, hosted recipe competitions, Someone even broke up with her citing casseroles for dinner and bad karaoke as the reasons. She started eating casseroles in Missouri, but she started owning the whole idea of them in New York. I was having a a Martha Stewart release party uh, when she was released from prison, and I had um, some food snob friends over because a lot of my friends were general snobs or food snobs, and I made this macaroni and corn casserole that my sister makes with boxed macaroni and cheese and canned corn, and uh, this guy who owns, his family owns one of the oldest steakhouses in New York, was just eating it straight from the foil, or the Pyrex, I don't know what it was in, with a plastic spoon and just going crazy over it, and I decided to have this casserole party, and everyone in New York went crazy over it. Her casserole party became a yearly event, and it got so big she had to move it from her apartment to a restaurant. There were a lot of uh, Midwestern transplants, and it became this kind of like kitschy Midwestern, this embrace of Midwestern culture. That all happened when she was in her 20s. Now she's in her 30s, married with a kid in a house, and she collects vintage Pyrex. But she still bristles at the idea of the sweet Midwestern homemaker. I'll tell you, I am not nice. I am a kind person and I am a good person, but I'm not a nice person. No one has ever used that word to describe me, and I'm very okay with that. But people just assume those, assume those things about you, and I think that might be part of the reason that I am a little edgier and throw around profanity. and, and uh, To remind people that you're not that stereotype? Exactly. Like I said, Emily and Idris are both new parents, and I wanted to talk to them because one of the things people always say is what a great place this is to raise a family. But we also like to talk about how easy it is to follow your passions here, to be an artist, to start a business, or just make something happen. Idris is known around town for being an activist. Ever since he got here from California, he's been obsessed with our reliance on cars, which not everyone can afford. So he rolled up his sleeves and got to work, collecting old bikes, fixing whatever's wrong with them, and giving them to people who need a ride. But here's what he said when I asked him about starting a family in the Midwest. 
It supersedes my passions for transportation planning. <laughs> um, <laughs> What do you mean by that? Well, you know, before I was a parent, I saw these problems and these inequities as problems that I wanted to help resolve. As a parent, I have to figure out my own household and how to keep my family safe first. It might sound like he's putting his dream on a back burner, but Idris sees it the other way around. His family is the dream, and it's a dream he's not sure he could achieve, at least not in the same way, somewhere else. I always wanted to be a dad, even when I was 19. My mom and brother used to joke about, like, you don't even have a girlfriend. How are you going to be a dad? But, I mean, it was kind of realized once I met my wife that, like, wow, this is it. Let's, let's have a family. The cost of living is relatively low, and I, we just have a lot of security as a family uh, living here and flexibility. I, I, I'm probably going to get hate mail for this. This sounds like a very Midwestern thing to me. Obviously, I'm a parent, too, and I would do anything for my child, and my child is my priority. But I see that a lot here. So people settle into their families and then kind of sometimes let their professional passions go. And I see that happening more here than I do with my friends who live on the coasts. People have their kids, and then they keep doing these things that they're very passionate about. And I know that people still do that here, but I see more people kind of settling into their comfortable Midwestern lives here. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to to fight to pull out of that, that comfort zone because it is easy. It's so easy. This debate is close to my heart. Like Emily, I wanted to get out of here when I finished high school, and like Emily, I went to New York. And one of the things that drew me back home was that Midwestern thing, where if you're willing to work at something and you aren't a total jerk— people will give you a chance to make your mark, even if you're 22 and have no credentials. I plan to come home for a summer to figure out my next move, but three months is all it took to get myself a column reviewing movies for a local paper. I found a great group of friends in an apartment with a porch. Why would I pack up and go somewhere else where it would take years to get any of that? But now I'm a new parent myself, and like Idris, I have really appreciated the freedom I feel here to treat that like it matters. You know, in other cities, like, you have to choose between a career and a family, and, you know, you don't necessarily have to choose here. You can do both, but you will have to work harder to be an advocate when, you know, you have this simple lifestyle that's very comfortable. It is easy to get into your comfort zone here. The comforts of the Midwest are enticing, but let's talk about that because not everyone does feel comfortable here. Hello? Ricky, it's Gina. Gina! Ricky's mom is my half-sister, who's a lot older than me. And Ricky lives in Chicago now, but grew up in Norman, Oklahoma. So is Oklahoma the Midwest? <laughs> That is the most complicated question to ask. It's true. Listen to these ESPN commentators trying to figure it out. I don't I know. It's the Southwest. Uh, is, I have no idea. Is Oklahoma in the Midwest or is it the Southwest? The, I Kevin, consider it Southwest. It's of right in the middle of the country. Uh, there is a city called this Midwest is City in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What state oh, yeah, is the Midwest? So Oklahoma, you know, it's pretty far south. But it's also not the south because I feel like that starts in Texas I don't know, Arkansas maybe, 
I do not consider myself Midwestern, but again, when I travel, everybody seems to consider me Midwestern. Would you say that you're sort of like caught between Southern and Midwestern? I would say so, and I think it's totally appropriate given uh, every other gray area in my life. What Ricky means about residing in the gray area has to do with gender. I'm queer, I'm genderqueer, I'm Jewish. And that's been at least as complicated as whether Oklahoma is in the Midwest. And I think that when people think of Oklahoma, they think of, you know, a straight, cisgender, Christian, evangelical who votes the red party line. And I'm not that. And I think that many people in Oklahoma are not that. You said something kind of recently about how you might not feel safe living in a lot of places in the Midwest outside of Chicago. And that felt really almost tragic to me because you studied LGBT health in Mm -hmm. rural communities. Your entire life's work is actually making sure that people like you can be safe and healthy no matter where they live. And yeah, it's really sad to me that that you don't feel safe necessarily throughout this region. Yeah, it's really sad to me, too, because honestly, I can't think of anything I would love more than having a big chunk of land in the middle of nowhere. So I asked Ricky what specifically makes those places unsafe. Oh, my God. Like this. Well, one, like people will straight up say things. So, So there's that. I've been threatened in bathrooms. Beyond the verbal threats, like you just feel people staring at you. And frankly, like, I just want to go to the grocery store. Like, I don't want to be interrogated about my gender on a regular basis. Like, I just want to be a human who moves through the world. It's really hard for me to hear this. I care about Ricky. We grew up together and I love the place I call home. But how can I love a place that makes someone feel this way? Lots of someones, if I'm being honest. We often tell people, though, you just come out, come out. It's not always safe. And it's not always safe in the Midwest. And God forbid if you're in a rural community or anywhere in the Midwest in a family that doesn't quite get it, it could be harmful for you. And so for me, I came out because I was tired of, you know, flipping over pictures every time my mother came by or having my lover run down the back stairs. That's D. Rashawn Gilmore. He's lived in Kansas City all his life. And for the most part, he's proud of that. We're hardworking. We're industrious. But as a black man and a gay man, the Midwest has been really challenging for him from an identity standpoint. So when he says that what really bugs him about this place is how backwards we can be and how resistant we are to change of any kind, that's real for him. And then there's this. There are things we just don't like to talk about in what might be considered polite company in the Midwest. He and Ricky are in agreement here. We tend to think we're pretty nice in the Midwest. So friendly, so polite. But... The passive-aggressive, the fake-nice Midwestern (laughs) thing. Oh, yeah. That is real. It's like the Southern equivalent of, like, bless your heart, but I'd rather hear bless your heart because I know what that means. Rashawn calls this Kansas City nice. And I'm guessing you could swap out Kansas City for the name of just about any Midwestern town, and the basic concept would still apply. In fact, a quick Google search shows results for Minnesota nice, Iowa nice, and Nebraska nice. Nebraska's even using it as a marketing slogan, and that is real, even though this commercial is fake. There's still a place. Best described in a simple word. Nice. Not great. Not horrible. Just nice. 
because every place can be summed up in just one word. New York, mean. Here are some small town ladies explaining Kansas nice to NPR's Melissa Block when she went on a big Midwestern road trip to try and understand us better. I mean, we do express our opinions, but then we kind of back away politely. We like, are Kansas polite. Yes. We are a Kansas polite community. <laughs> Good old Midwest. Yes. It's kind of like, yes, I feel this way, but I understand how you feel. Uh You know, it's like, because we're a small town and we all have to get along. Well, Rashawn Gilmore doesn't like it. He feels strongly about Kansas City nice. I just want to throw out nine key characteristics. I'll go through them briefly. (laughs) Whoa, you made a list. (laughs) I did. I really thought about this a lot. This has impacted my life. Polite friendliness, an aversion to confrontation, a tendency toward understatement, we tend to be very self-deprecating, uh, a disinclination toward making a fuss or standing out, envying people behind their backs, resistance to change, and I think lastly, sort of this passive aggressiveness that comes out sometimes because we don't want to say what we think or feel. We don't want to appear to be rude or in any way ostentatious. It also means staying in the middle of the pack. You don't want to be last to hop on a new trend, but it's almost rude to be first. So is being in a hurry not okay? It's not, which is why you don't hear people honking their horns very much. Interesting. I'm I'm on a one-man mission to change that. (laughs) I think horns are one of the most underutilized technologies that we have, and I want to make sure that, you know, mine gets heard a lot. But not everyone is in a hurry to change things here. Reagan Bluell works with dairy farmers in Missouri. I'm blessed to be able to spend each day working with the salt of the earth. Reagan thinks of agriculture as something that defines the Midwest, even though not a lot of us are actually farmers. We work every day uh, because you love, you love the farm and you love the heritage and, and you just love creating food for the masses. So do you see agriculture as a really crucial part of Midwestern identity? It's absolutely critical. We're feeding the world here in flyover country. But so few people are actually growing that food. So I think it's really interesting that that's still what defines us in your mind. I mean, what is it about farming that represents the Midwest in a bigger way? Um, solid core values, good neighbors, good stewards of the land. Reagan likes to talk about how farmers helped other farmers during the wildfires that ravaged cattle country in the spring of 2017. These are busy people who dropped everything to help. Numerous farms burnt to the ground, absolutely nothing left. Nothing, no fence, no anything. And we saw a massive outpour of resources, people sending feed, people uh, sending money. Farmers recognize what it is like to have that quality of life, um, to, to know and love what you do every day, choring, even though it's super hard work, uh, but you love it. And you want those other people to continue to love it. And so you reach out. Uh, and so it's really that taking care of neighbor and the, the family values. I think of Midwestern pride as kind of nostalgic. There's a way of life that's fading fast. And we cling to what we can for as long as we can. The small town grocery store, the family farm. I heard you talk about nostalgia. The embodiment of that nostalgia uh, occurs every day through agriculture, and and I believe it to be a beautiful thing. Um, These guys wake up every morning, and they choose their attitude. Um, And and perhaps we could all be good stewards of our life and, um, and, and wake up and choose our attitude and be happy about what you do every day. 
And about that slow Midwestern pace? You know, you, you think about it, and the, and the farmer's getting the crops out during harvest. And the pace of, of putting you know, the seed in the ground right before the rain. And so we're, we're pretty fast-paced when we have to be. Yeah, that's true too, I guess. In this crazy world, I'm so grateful for a place where you can live life and be comfortable. With the people you love, people who would drop everything to fix your fence. But I also want to be challenged. I want opportunities, and I want to witness real change. For the rest of this season on Midwesternish, we'll keep exploding these ideas with stories about actual people who live here, whether they fit the mold or break it. Keep listening. This podcast is made in Kansas City by me and Suzanne Hogan. Sylvia Maria Gross is our editor, and if you have a Midwesternish story you want to tell, pitch it to us. We're putting together a live event, and your story could be part of it. Call 816-235-2797 and leave a voicemail with a story or observation that's uniquely Midwestern. Qualities we really like in our stories are hilariousness and poignant twists and turns. Just keep your pitch to less than one minute or you're disqualified. The phone number is 816-235-2797. What else? We have a talk show in Kansas City called Central Standard, and you can check that out at kcur.org. And that's a wrap. We love you, Midwest. Sincerely, KCUR Studios.